0: Talk Radio, the world for people who think.
1: We are doomed to extinction because of agriculture. We have raped and pillaged this plants. There is a, a, a disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which way you're focusing, there is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. Categories for things happening in the sky and the cosmos. If you read the scientific reports that come through and put the pieces together, you can see something big is happening.
2: Welcome to Zot Talk Radio. Uh, As usual, I'm Joe Quinn and with me again is Nal Bradley. Hello to all. And this week also we have back again Laura knight Welcome, Laura. Laura. Oh, hi. And also we have Juliana Barembwim. Welcome, Juliana. Hello. Everybody knows me and Neil more or less. Or maybe not. Everybody knows Laura, but yes, Laura. No, go ahead. Juliana is a multilinguist, a researcher for SOT.net and org and a healthy eating enthusiast, uh, just like the rest of us. Um, so this week, we are going to talk about, as our the title of our, talk, of our show states, Paleo Food, Healthy Eating in a GMO World, and in the intro to this show, the recorded intro music, you I heard Laura state at some point long ago that we are doomed to destruction because of agriculture.
1: Extinction.
2: Well, okay. Extinction by destruction? Either way. Okay. So that's the topic of our show this week, and we are going to get straight into it by talking about a recent study. Unless Laura has something to tell me.
1: I do have something
2: to Laura say. Laura has something that she wants to say.
1: Yeah, he could he could look at me and tell that I had something to say. I could see say. a look in her face. You know, I just want to tell on these guys. You know. I'm sitting here at a table with two guys from Ireland, and neither of them has ever kissed the Blarney Stone. <laughs> I mean, we were having this little conversation before we went on the air just a little while ago, and, you know, usually Neil has a, a serious plan for the show. He's got all his research and his notes and he knows what we're going to talk about and when we're going to say it and he you know waves a baton and directs us like an orchestra
3: he does not <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm just teasing a little and joe of course you know he handles the uh the button pushing and keeps everything going and uh uh saves us from our own uh, uh errors Yep. And so so they're saying, you know, what are we going to talk about, you know? And well, you know, why don't you have a plan here, Neil? Because, you know, Neil doesn't have, you know, a complete plan like he usually has. And I said, uh, well, you know, I mean, you, you know, you can just talk, you know, ad lib, you know. So I asked Neil, I said, "Did you ever kiss the Barney Stone?" He says, "No." And then Joe said, "I didn't kiss it either." Tell us why you didn't want to kiss the Barney Stone. Joe. Well, because
2: you never know where it's been. <laughs> I saw it, and that was enough, you know. Um, I see. but I thought you were you were going to introduce us there as you're sitting here with two Irish guys who wouldn't know the back end of a car from the front of it or something. <laughs> like that.
1: Just
2: as a topical comment.
1: No, 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 our, no, 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 no. No, but now now that I've now that I've told on the two Irish guys who have never kissed the Barney Stone, you know. I'm going to also make a little comment. I think about this this idea of being doomed to extinction because of agriculture. It uh, it really seems to be so. Uh, but the thing that occurred to me as I was listening to that recording of me from some uh, radio or TV interview I did—that's where they snatched it. Um, it made me think of the you know the age-old uh, conflict between uh agriculture and uh the eating of meat, as represented you know in the you know one of the older texts of our civilization, the Bible, you know the conflict between Cain and Abel hmm. uh, as everybody probably knows, and if they don't i don't know what's going on with religious education nowadays um, Cain uh killed his brother Abel because God favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And what were the differences between the sacrifices? Cain sacrificed a living creature, you know, probably a sheep or a lamb or, you know, something like that. And Cain offered the first fruits of his garden, you know, probably grain. So Mm -hmm. uh, apparently God didn't like that. He wanted meat, and he wasn't going to have anything to do with the, the bread part. And so he... Was favorable towards Abel in some way. We have no idea how his favor was being demonstrated. But Cain got really upset and he killed his brother. The first murder in history, supposedly. I mean, you know, his
2: favor. I'm I'm being
1: a little facetious here.
2: His favor was being demonstrated by not killing him.
1: (laughs) So you know, the thing is, is that this this goes back to the very you know deepest parts of our origins. Uh there's an old Sufi story that the fall in Eden came about because of the introduction of agriculture which kind of ties in to this idea that uh you know the fall in e- fall from Eden wasn't necessarily from eating an apple done by Adam and Eve but rather had to do with the split between agriculture and the eating of meat and it's it's really kind of symbolic of a lot a lot of other things that we have this conflict and that it is so deep because uh... the fact is apparently not only does god not like agriculture the planet doesn't either because agriculture if you've read lear key's great book the vegetarian math you'll know the destruction that agriculture has done to our planet not only has it raped and plundered the planet scarred it damaged it um... through various means not only just you know taking the topsoil off and Destroying forests and uh, dumping fertilizers on that run into the sea and then kill the animals in the sea, but it has also allowed two or three other things to happen that would not have happened to a meat-eating uh, nomadic society. Uh, and the main one is the increase in a population because women who are on the paleolithic diet do not uh, do not have as many fertile periods as women who eat carbohydrates. Uh, they don't have a, you know. Sometimes they even go a long time without periods. Uh, they, you know, they're the, the population doesn't grow in the same way in nomadic societies as it does in a settled agricultural society. And of course, you know, in a settled agricultural society, you need a lot of people to work those fields. And that's one of the reasons why they encourage, you know, the increase of the population, get more people to, you know, rape and pillage more of the planet so that they can pile up more grain to put in the storehouses of the, you know, the elite masters of the world who then dispense it according to uh, some uh, criteria for who gets favor and who doesn't. So it's all, it, you know, it, it's something that's under the control of of a hierarchy, so you see that it's not just it's not just the damage to the planet it's also the fact that agriculture made cities possible agriculture made hierarchical governments possible those things led to you know more and more technology so that people could get more and more agriculture done and you know rape and pillage the planet even more so the very foundational element is agriculture, uh, forcing the planet to yield more than what it would in a natural, cyclical way. And by this forcing, you know, we have borrowed on the future. We've taken resources from the planet uh, that it can't replace except in millions and millions of years. When you get to the point you have to start using uh, petroleum-based products to make fertilizer, to replenish the soil, to grow food... I mean, come on, you're dipping down there into the ground and you're taking resources that have taken a very long time. I'm not going to get into the the deal about abiotic oil or or whether uh, oil is, uh, you know, made by dead compressed dinosaurs. But when you start dipping into resources that have been accumulated in the earth over thousands, millions of years to produce food for now, what do you do when you run out of that and the earth will produce no more and say you have seven, eight, nine billion people on the planet and the earth will produce no more because everything has been stripped and you have borrowed.
2: It sounds like plenty. Of, it's,
1: it's, it's debt. It's living in debt. I it mean, sounds
2: it's like plenty of fertilizer for the earth.
1: Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the dead bodies. Nine, nine billion people dying all over the planet. It'll definitely, you know, make a Replenish go. the soil. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. But really, if you think about it, that's just the very short version of how we got into this mess that we're in. But there is a far more sinister side to the agriculture story, and it has to do with hierarchies and control... And I think I'm going to hand it over to Juliana because she is just dying to get in here and say something. She's just sitting there waving her fingers in the air.
4: No, I was just going to add because you mentioned um, the vegetarian myth. And when she talks about this increase in population, she says basically we're living in a phantom uh, caring capacity. You know, caring capacity would be defined as the uh, is calculated by the number of people living in a given manner. That's what she says which uh, a given environment can support indefinitely. Now, that's what the agro-industry is trying to sell us, is that uh, GMOs and all modern agriculture is sustainable. But when we look at the effect on the earth, it's not. It's really not indefinite. And that's what they try to, to make, uh, you know, make us believe. But the fact is that soil is, d- is destroyed, just a, you know, like you said, the soil is destroyed, rivers are destroyed. You know, there are no resor- resources left. So what's the outcome of that? There's got to be destruction brought upon by agriculture. I mean, just from the simple equation, what can the planet, how many people can the planet feed in a sustainable manner? It's not going to last very long. No, I mean, especially now when we're dipping into our future.
2: Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit Machiavellian to me, to, like you mentioned, that people eating grains and carbs produce more children uh and those children then are needed as adults to, to produce more grain produce more grains as, a, as essentially as a slave class or a, an underclass at least in a in a lot of parts of the world they're very poorly paid, you know, so you essentially produce a a slave
4: well, cla- yeah. class I mean, to
2: produce the grains that um that are needed to to feed feed all the people and it just it's a, it's a kind of negative feedback loop going and on. And then there, when the know?
4: land that you're exploiting gets depleted you go and expand and conquer other territories and stuff. So it's all attached to imperialism, not only in the, from the human point of view, but also from the geographical point of view. I mean, why do they need wars? It's mm-hmm.
1: well, just think about. You know, we we live in a civilization that pays great honor to the origins of our so-called civilization, i.e., Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, the fertile crescent, Red. is what it was called. Uh, they don't call it that anymore because it's pretty much a desert. The entire Fertile Crescent is a desert. It has suffered desertification. But it was the place where agriculture began, and as a consequence of agriculture, cities were built, these vast city-states that you know warred with each other continuously. And not only did they have cities, but they had enormous, incredible slave populations. And these people were i mean if if you think you understand what is, what it is to be a slave uh in the modern conception, you have no idea these people literally were were treated as if they were animals, they were even thought of as they were animals they were not accepted to have souls they uh you know, and I don't know whether anybody has a soul, but uh the conception at the time was that they were no better than animals. So they had not only a slave population, they built cities, they had hierarchical governments, you know, mainly with a a, a king and a vast uh, bureaucracy. They had uh, organized religion, um, and they also supposedly invented writing. And, of course, writing was developed from the very beginning as a means to keep track of the donations to the temple or to the uh, king or the government of you know, your produce. I mean, they wanted they wanted everybody to be taxed. Everybody had to produce. Everybody had to donate. And the only way they could keep track of this was to make lists. And so, you know, if they started out making tally marks and and then having symbols that stood for a person and then people had cylinder seals and so forth for their businesses or whatever. But eventually it developed into a form of writing. So all of the – oh, and also they had the the wheel. The wheel was absolutely necessary to haul the grain around. So literally everything that we consider to be, quote, civilized, unquote, cities riding the wheel, you know, uh, bureaucratic administrative governments, organized religion, all of these things stem from this uh, agricultural – you know, planet-destroying concept. And nobody ever really stops to think about it. They think, oh, we have cities, we have wheels, we have writing, we have this, we have that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they don't even stop to consider the origins of it, the meaning of it, and where it has taken us. If you just look around yourself at where we are, teetering on the brink of, you know, total destruction based on what I read in the news every day this is where we are, how did we get here we're supposed to be human beings, we're supposed to have advanced uh, you know, we have enormous technology but we have absolutely no moral compass, I Mm -hmm. mean, no values, nothing I mean, it's all been stripped away from us you know, the, the most heroic thing that we can think of is to is to play a video game or 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 send a a rover to the planet Mars or to the moon or something and that those are our heroes you know mechanical destructive elements and and they're not satisfied to rape and pillage the Earth now they now they talk about mining asteroids mining on the moon mining on Mars they've used up everything on this freaking planet and now they want to go get it from the other planets do you think Mother Nature is going to let that happen huh
2: I don't think so. Yeah, and um, modern technology does not require agriculture. Would you agree? I would agree. We can have all of our modern toys and conveniences without uh, stripping the planet bare of its natural resources. What do you think, Neil? Um,
3: well, the, this this... Idea that um, we're buying, we're we're actually stealing from the future to feed now. Is just it, it, it's it's just gone up up a whole other level in the last thirty years with GMO. I mean, this is agriculture, you know, on steroids, literally. And worse things, mm-hmm. where um, it's presented as a sustainable solution. In other words, something that can actually bring us back into the natural carrying capacity of the planet. It's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Absolutely. It's digging in deeper to that future that, to resources that we don't have. Um, I mean, GMOs are boasted as yielding higher, uh, producing higher crop yields. They produce less. Yeah. As being more environmentally friendly, they pollute more because you need more pesticides just to keep the thing going. Mm-hmm. Um. And the, the denial between the 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 idea of GMOs and where it's projected and how amazing it's going to be, it's going to feed the world and save the world, and the reality is just incredible.
1: Maybe, maybe there's a connection between what Joe just said, you know, that with all this technology you don't need so much agriculture because once you've got the technology – you only need a certain number of people to keep things going and maintain it. Because, I mean, once, you, once you've used up all the agriculture to build the cities, get the civilization to a certain level where technology can be created and developed, the people who were the uh, foundation of it all become superfluous.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't need them anymore. And maybe maybe there's a connection between that fact and... Uh, the promotion of agriculture, because uh from the very beginning agriculture has been shown to uh diminish uh the health of the individual i mean archaeological studies show that as soon as agriculture was introduced uh human beings became smaller more disease prone they had uh, more types of uh conditions and diseases you know bone problems teeth problems. Any archaeologist can tell you by looking at the teeth of a, of a of bones of of a skull that he finds in a dig whether they were involved in agriculture or whether they were meat eaters by their teeth because the meat eaters don't have cavities and they don't have bone diseases the people who engaged in agriculture all have bone diseases and they have lots and lots of cavities really bad teeth mm-hmm. so that's always been present but now it has increased it has accelerated to an exponential extent and perhaps just perhaps there's meaning in that because as Ivan Pavlov proved uh the strongest dogs the most resistant to being reprogrammed can be broken and programmed if their health is destroyed first
2: absolutely we've got a call here so we're going to go ahead and take it hello Hi, uh, what's your name, and where are you calling from?
5: Hi, this is Corey. Uh, I'm come, I'm calling from Iowa, the U.S.
2: Hi, Corey. Middle oh. Midwest. Okay. I, was
5: just, well, I just wanted to bring up the fact that I read on the news the other day that about 80% of the students graduating from New York City weren't able to do basic reading and writing skills, and they had to relearn it. I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that, too.
1: You mean talk about the dumbing down of humanity because their brains are getting smaller and turning to mush because of their (laughs)
0: exercise-based
1: diet? Is that what you want me to talk about there? I mean, do you want me to talk about the fact that, that people, you know, I mean, think about it. Evolutionarily speaking, you know, these people are saying, oh, we should eat like our hominid ancestors or our hominid cousins, you know, monkeys, chimpanzees, gorillas, you know, and I say to them, look, They are still monkeys, chimpanzees, and gorillas. Mm -hmm. We started meat and we became human. You know, get a clue there. So, all these people going off on these vegetarian, vegan, you know, high grain diets, uh, fruitarians, uh, blah, 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 you know, raw. Steamed, baked, broiled, or fried, you know, whatever. They're eating like animals. Yeah, they're they eating like animals. Not only that, but they are their brains are shrinking. There are news stories about it. The, the brain sizes, the average brain size of the human being and the population is shrinking. And there's even specific articles that say the brains of vegetarians are shrinking. Now, of course, we know that brain size isn't everything. I mean, Einstein didn't have a brain the size of, you know... Uh, the Incredible Hulk or anything, and there are people who have very small brains or diminished brains or damaged brains or whatever who function perfectly well, and there's even some who have, you know, got advanced degrees in university when their skull is basically full of air. Nevertheless.
2: Your your brain uses fat for energy. Mm -hmm. Saturated fat. Yes. Not vegetable fat. Hmm. No,
5: absolutely. I, I I totally agree with that.
1: I am not surprised that the people, you know, the kids in New York graduating, you know, can't read and write and do basic mathematics. Um, And, you know, what what is really startling to me is that people don't realize the social cost of this. I mean, it's not just the cost to the society itself because people, you know, are incompetent to manage their own lives. You know, balance their checkbooks. uh, read enough literature to be able to know how to de- behave with one another, which you know is a pretty important thing, but that they actually have to be retrained. Somebody has to spend money, create a program, fund it, get these people in there to teach them in some further nighttime education class how to read, write, and balance their checkbook because they didn't learn it in the school system, which is already costing a mint. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like. It's staggering.
2: And does that serve the purpose of the powers that be, to have a population that cannot think?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: and
5: absolutely. I, I'm i a tutor. Well, I, I tutor some people at my college, and I've been surprised because what we're trying to learn uh, some basic algebra, and they couldn't even do arithmetic. They could not subtract numbers. And these were people who were in their 30s. And, I was, and I've was, I just been appalled by that, it's, just, it's frightening, that really is a frightening, frightening fact. So, you
4: know, thank there's you. Also, there's also the fact that, um, you know, like Laura was saying, brain, brain size is not everything, but when you look at the effects that these grains are having and these carbohydrates are having on people, uh, not just vegetarians, but anybody who eats a high-carbohydrate diet, it's all related I mean apart from the uh... inflammation and physical symptoms that the person will get they'll get inflammation in the brain they'll get memory loss they'll get uh, alzheimer's parkinson's um... lack of concentration i mean your brain is just not feeding on the proper fuel mm-hmm. so no matter what your brain size is you're still not going to use it to the full capacity Yeah. so no wonder they're dumbing, numbing down people plus Grains have this, uh, and the grains that that are most, uh, feeding most of the population have opioids, which make you addicted to them, so you can't just stop eating them very easily. Mm-hmm. And it's just a vicious circle. I mean, how are you going to be able to think after eating all that?
2: How are you going to be able to realize or think your way through the idea that what you're eating is bad for you if you can't think properly?
3: And it's not just affecting
2: the the 80% of college graduates who cannot read and write. When
3: they leave school, or it's not it's actually high school high school kids it's clearly affecting the people who who write the policy uh whatever about the ultimate powers they be, but I mean mm-hmm. the average government uh employee yeah. has not put two and two together and said, "Well, what are we going to do to solve this problem uh, let's mm-hmm. Let's get
2: some after school extra classes. No, they don't see that it's staring them in the face, it's their diet, yeah, yeah, people in the Department of Health and the government you know functional reasons and stuff like that. I mean, they're hopped up on cornflakes, so how are they meant to figure out the solution to their (laughs) problem? Anyway, Corey, thanks for your call. Thank you. Corey, take it easy. We have another call here, so we're going to go with that one. Okay. Hi. Hi there. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi,
6: this is Genevieve calling from Indiana.
2: Hi, Genevieve. Welcome. Hi. Welcome.
1: How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Very good. Thank you. We're sitting in our garage studio wearing sweaters.
6: Ooh, sounds chilly. <laughs>
1: yeah.
6: I didn't know it was a garage studio.
2: That yeah. a
6: neat picture in my when mind.
2: I, when when might um, start? Garage band. I was van. actually calling. I'm
6: sorry.
2: Go ahead. Oh, no, carry on. I was just. Go ahead, Genevieve.
6: Um. It's interesting, you are what you eat. And I've grown up with that saying in my mind, I'm a young woman in my early to mid-30s, I will say, and I was a vegetarian for 31 years. And I was having trouble comprehending and really going deeper and further into all of the materials that I've been wanting to read and research, and finally I thought, okay, time to take a look at diet. For 10 months now, I've been following the paleo regime, and oh, my goodness. So I don't know how much damage I did during that time. What's the
1: difference, huh?
6: Oh, my goodness. uh, I would say that my down days are less. Um, I have more energy. Um, My thinking's definitely clearer, and I'm excited to spread the word to anybody that'll listen to me yammer on and on about it.
0: That's great, Genevieve.
6: It's kind of a testament to, I'm not completely, I am not uh, haven't gone completely ketogenic yet, but I'm definitely on the route. So just a testament to the paleo lifestyle, cutting out carbs and animal fat for energy.
1: That's great. Isn't it nice to be able to eat and actually feel satisfied with a small amount of food?
6: It's amazing, two small meals a day. And, you know, the whole, oh, you have to have fruits
2: and vegetables. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah, No, that.
6: they're
2: actually, it well, they works for you then.
6: Yeah, Go that's ahead. One,
2: that's one of the things that um, a lot of the people talking about, the paleo diet and uh, that promote it, they seem to, the ones I've seen anyway, seem to include, even before they mention protein and fat, animal protein and fat, they talk about um, nuts and fruit and vegetables. Mm-hmm. But
6: that was my that was my what I did before lentils peanuts, yep. and uh, found out that it was all wrong and that a lot of those actual nutritious foods aren't so nutritious and can actually be damaging to the body.
2: Yeah, so as far as uh, we're con- take some, as far as we're concerned, paleo the paleo diet doesn't really include regular consumption of nuts and fruits and vegetables. The paleo mm-hmm. diet is basically just largely animal protein and fat. Yeah,
4: Genevieve uh, mentioned the ketogenic diet. Maybe not everybody knows what it is. Maybe we should um, just give a little... Go ahead. Do it. Well, basically, it's just you eat roughly 80% saturated fat from animals, and the rest is animal protein. And what else? That's pretty much it. Remember, Laura, last show, you mentioned uh, that people survived the plague Mostly uh, with the bone broth and yeah. meat broth. Well, that's it, people. I mean, it's just broth every day, uh, made from marrow bones or any kind of bone. With some added fat. Added fat. A little bit of meat. Very, very fatty meat, The most, the best kind of quality you can find. And vegetables are kind of like a... 1% thing, if, if that. Well,
1: there's two things we need to add into this. There are some bugs in the program. <laughs> and, the, you know, the bugs that we have found are that, uh, first of all, uh, when you're eating meat, you're eating uh, the flesh of creatures that uh, consume plants. If the planet itself has already been stripped of most of its uh, nutrients in the soil then the nutrients that the animal is going to get are going to be somewhat stripped also. One of the main minerals that uh, is lacking is magnesium, and it's extremely important to nearly every single function in your body. So you probably may need to add some magnesium. Uh, Second of all, there was a mutation in some Celtic person, probably one of you guys' Irish relatives, you know. What can I say? Whatever. Back about 2,000 (laughs) years ago, Uh, that has led to the condition called hemochromatosis, where your body stores too much uh, iron. This is a very adaptive uh, mutation during times of uh, starvation when you have very little meat because your body gets all the iron it can get and it hangs on to it. But if you're getting plenty of meat, lots of meat, as as you would if you were on a Paleolithic diet, uh, then you, pro- you, know, you might get a little too much iron, and then you'll have to go and be a blood donor at regular intervals just to keep your iron unloaded. Otherwise, your health will be fine. So I would just say that there are a couple of bugs in the program. People shouldn't go out without being tested and just you know immediately start chowing down on pork chops and bacon. Um, you should be tested, and you should keep these things in mind, and you should certainly read all the literature about it so that you know the warning signs, of when you may possibly be suffering from some sort of deficiency, which can occur, but there is far less deficiency in lacking, you know, a, 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 the element magnesium or getting too much iron. And interestingly enough, if you get plenty of magnesium, it kind of you know prevents the absorption of the iron. So and potassium. And potassium. Then the horrible, horrible disease processes that have taken over our planet. I mean, autoimmune diseases are just. Absolutely epidemic in our world due to the fact that
4: people are eating so many carbohydrates. But I imagine that you uh, you didn't go full uh, cold turkey or either from the beginning, right? Uh, no, you? I
6: did not. I I started gradually eliminating um, first carbs, then sugar, and I introduced um, fish, and then white meat, and then finally up to the red meat, and it's. You know, like I said, it's been a ten-month-long process, and I'm still not completely there yet. Well, but I would it's
4: say a different kind thing. of ideal because um, for a lot of people, even if you're scared, you know, I mean, going from a normal standard diet to just what we're trying, what we're talking about here, is really, really hard. So what we've learned mm-hmm. and people in the Cassiopeia Forum have done, and seems to have worked for them, is to first cut out gluten, all grains basically, and then dairy. That yeah, and then progressively reduce the amount of sugars and carbs, and that includes grains, fruits, and actual sugar. Mm-hmm. And then once you do that, even if you do it as a challenge, say you, you give yourself a month and see how you feel, and then three mm-hmm. months and see how you feel, then try try eating a little bit of gluten again and see the effect it's going to have. I mean, you start feeling so great that you just don't want to touch this stuff anymore. And, and you don't Sorry. need to go... You know, just eat eighty percent fat because your body is gonna need some time of uh, some you know time to adapt and all that. So uh, it really is a progressive uh, process. Really, it took. You don't
6: realize how sick you are and allergic you are to these foods until you stop them. And like you said, hey, try gluten. Well, my husband, I had a partner in this, and my husband also stopped the gluten and started the paleo with me. And we both cheated, if you will, and had chocolate cake on his mother's birthday. And boy, did we feel like crap the next two days. And okay. we realized, you know, it's just not worth it. And um, right, you don't, people, you just don't it. How, people just don't oh, know. People just don't know how they are. Oh no, not at all. I thought it was okay, but something wasn't clicking. You know, I wasn't comprehending things the way I wanted, and um, putting things together in my mind the way I thought I should. And I thought, okay, there's there's something wrong here. So that is when I started to do the research, and I did check out the Cassie site and some of the threads. Um, I should be more actively involved and maybe this will kickstart me into going back in and actually reading more. But, um, yeah, it's got to be a slow process. And, and my worldview changed. I was a born and raised vegetarian. And although I'd always had all the, the feelings that, uh, to each his own, but so, well, there's got to be some middle ground, some truth there. And, mm-hmm. um, I was in shock for a while,
0: <laughs> yeah.
6: obviously, and realized that my parents were, know they were trying to do the right thing, but it wasn't right. And um anyway, now I'm feeling much better.
1: Um, I am so glad to hear it, Genevieve. All right.
2: Thanks for thanks for taking
1: my call. Thank you, sweetie. Thanks guys. Bye -bye. Thanks for the show.
2: Bye bye. Hi. We this seems to be a hot topic because we have another caller on the line here. Hi Hello, is
7: this can you hear me?
2: Yes. What's your name and where you calling from?
7: I'm uh, Anthony. I'm calling from uh, Orm, Utah. Okay. One of the very few people in this area that uh, has uh, followed along for a few years on uh, the Focom and and, uh, that kind of site. And I want to just tell you about some of the paleo diets that I've ran into and uh, some of the misinformation of uh, what the medical industry does and my experiences with it. Go for uh, it. Uh, two, uh, the year 2000, I had a gastric bypass. And if you're familiar with that, they kind of mutilate the stomach. and oh, yeah. uh Okay. And uh, But the key with the gastric bypass was going into protein diets, and it was a ketogenic-type diet, and I lost a lot of weight. The only reason why they do the gastric bypass is uh, uh, the ability to have an aversion of food. So they they make you not be able to eat, and then they shove uh, high-protein diets, and then all of a sudden you start losing weight, and people think it's a miracle. But that's the main uh, ability of these gastric bypasses. And by the way, I had two of them. <laughs>
0: Wow. The first Why? one,
7: when they did the surgery, uh, part of my stomach became fused to my diaphragm, and not I was pleasant. having pains. Pardon?
1: That's not pleasant.
7: No, and so they had to go back and kind of re-tie up everything, and uh, but uh, being part Italian, it's too hard for me to get away from pastas, so my weight kind of... Kind of went back up because of uh, you know the 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 starches that I eat, and I'm trying to go back to the uh, ketogenic type diets of high proteins and only high proteins and very few vegetables is basically so, what. So so
1: you're eat. currently right now you're eating pasta after having been on a ketogenic diet and having lost a lot of weight and. Let me ask you, on this diet, did they allow you to have, uh, you know, some breads and things now and then? Uh,
7: occasionally, but it was very sparingly. Uh, they do not want you to have any kind of uh, starches.
1: Because one uh, of the that things that we have learned is is that if you are strictly paleo uh, or keto, keto in particular it's really, really much better, you actually... Lose the cravings You begin You know Your body begins To feel satisfied You oh, eat much yeah. less And you lose The cravings Because For me It was just so amazing To lose all cravings For uh, You know For starches For You know and, and that's not to say We don't sit around Every once in a while And say Oh remember that chocolate cake We ate you know 10 years ago Blah 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 And the ice cream That went with it You know And we sit there and, you know, And then we think Immediately What we would feel like If we ate that And then we realize, you know, it just ain't worth it. It wasn't so attractive after all because the memories of the feelings of the few times that we've fallen off the wagon have so overwhelmed our mind and made us so aware of how bad we would feel that it no longer seems so attractive.
7: Oh, yes. I I agree, and as I'm getting older, I I can't eat that kind of level of uh, refined sugars and carbohydrates anymore. It just makes me sick. So naturally, my body is kind of just to throw away, and I notice when I eat a nice dish of pasta and spaghetti, which uh, uh, is my weakness, uh, my blood sugar uh, really does go high after something like that.
1: Instead and of that, why don't you just get a nice piece of ham, a slice of piece of butter, roll it up in the ham, and eat that for a snack, and then you'd feel perfectly satisfied. You wouldn't want that pasta anymore. I I
7: agree, and it's just a matter of teaching myself to do that and kind of doing more study and, and doing... There was one thing, you were talking about potassium and magnesium and our lack of that. There was a product on the market, and I remember... Purchasing it in the 80s, it was called KM. It was kind of like a liquid colloidal of potassium and magnesium, a very high concentration of those two things. Uh And you would have about uh, an ounce or two a day, and it did really make me feel good and feel uh, much better. And this was back in the 80s, of course. Uh I can't find that product anywhere any kind of supplements that I want to find for potassium or magnesium are very weak in the ability to uh, get any sufficient amount in, in the body. Uh, most of the supplements for potassium is only like 10% of the daily allowance, as you see. And I, it's crazy. This KM was like four or 500% of a daily dose, and I can't find that anymore. Anywhere, KM. It was called KM. Uh, it was a product that it was I a bet multi-market. I you can find itself. it on Amazon. I tried. They don't huh? sell it anywhere.
1: Oh no, <laughs> they don't
7: sell it anywhere. I don't know why, but it was like colloidal silver type of uh, yeah a medication, or I mean, a you know Supplement. high concentration of that stuff, and I. Um, well, are you going to have that.
1: any more? Are you going to have any more surgeries, or are you going to get a grip on this thing?
7: I'm not going to have any more surgeries, and I got to, uh, you know, uh, not do half cocked gun type actions on doing. Yeah, you uh, need to research the
1: topic. Do you know? Yeah. Speaking speaking of gastric surgeries, there's one I was reading about the other day, and it's you know. It was so bizarre that I couldn't even finish reading the article because it was just disgusting. There are people who have a permanent shunt inserted in their side, goes through their side and into the wall of their stomach, you know, and it's like stitched in there or something so that it's permanent. And mm-hmm. then they are they are allowed to eat anything and everything they want, and then they attach the pump 20 minutes after they've eaten and pump it all out. Oh,
7: That's ridiculous.
1: That is, uh, that is did, so disgusting.
7: When I did my gastric bypass, my first one, they they uh, nonchalantly took out my gallbladder too because that was just the standard procedure of uh, of that bypass. They figured, well, so now if you're overweight, you're going to have problems, have problems with your gallbladder. So it was gone. Right. They took it out, and there was nothing <laughs> the matter with it.
1: So now you have to have uh, digestive enzymes to help you consume meat and fat,
7: right? That's right, and that's why it's so hard to continue eating uh, fats and stuff because then my digestive system is uh, uh, polluted with uh, out of balance. So they took that out too. So it's hard for me to go back on the high-fat diets. Because then Yeah, you'd, you'd have to do out.
1: some research and, and handle it real carefully But I can tell you right now, anybody When you let those scalpel jockeys get a hold of you You're a dire, dire
2: doo-doo Anthony, mm. what was that supplement you were looking for you said you couldn't find?
7: It was a supplement in the 80s Multi-marketed around, at least in Utah area Called K.M.
2: Is, is it called Maltol K.M.? No,
7: it was just uh, sold under the, the moniker of K.M. Mm. So there's, a,
2: and there's there's something called Maltol-K-M you might want to look at. I don't know if it's the same thing or not, but it's the, if you just Google Maltol-K-M. Maltol, how do you spell it? M-A-L-T-O-L. M-A-L-G-O-L. Oh, sorry, sorry Maltol, M-A-T-O-L-K-M. Okay,
7: I'll take a look at it because... Yeah, the, I don't know if it's the
2: same thing. It talks about potassium and magnesium requirements for your body. Yeah, I...
7: well, I... All right. I I appreciate the chat. It's an yeah. honor for me to talk to Laura. I've read your Thank books. You, I, I think it's wonderful and a wonderful thing that you're doing. And I and want you, to support you as much as possible.
1: Well, the best thing you can do for me is to take care of you.
7: And I agree. I agree okay. very much. I, okay. I drank the DMSO. And uh, smelled like corn for a long time. Go <laughs> so. easy on that. But that so did do, help me do a do little bit. Do
1: research first. Don't yeah. do anything you don't understand. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Kissy okay. kissy. Appreciate it. All right.
7: Thank, Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very, much. very much. Bye.
2: Bye. All right, we got another. As I said, this is a hot topic. We have got another call here. We're going to go with this one. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
8: Hi, I'm Joe. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Joe. Joe.
2: Joe. Okay. I
8: know that name. Hey, Joe. Hi. Hi. This is Al. This is such an honor. I'm so glad to uh, meet the people, uh, at least on the phone, who uh, came up with the Eru Olus program. It's helped me tremendously. I haven't really been able to listen on the radio because I'm not on the streets in New York right now, but I just really wanted to thank you for that. It's improved the quality of my life uh, tremendously. Oh,
1: thank you. I am so glad.
8: Well, you know, it's um, my apartment uh, in New York was in downtown Brooklyn uh, after the World Trade Center, and all of that stuff came in my window every single day. And oh, no. Yeah, I got allergic to everything after that. I was allergic to dogs. I loved dogs. I was allergic to grass. I was allergic to everything. And the only thing that that worked, and literally my allergies were so bad. It was like sneezing every day. It was like being stabbed with knives every day. And the only thing that worked was the AeroAulist program. And I don't get colds. I don't get flus anymore. I don't have allergies any longer. Um,
1: and well, that that's one of the real benefits of irregular stimulation of the vagus nerve uh... it it really really and i i can't emphasize this enough and having a technique to stimulate the vagus nerve in a uh... controlled way is just you know one of the one of the best health benefits you can give yourself
8: It's. You know, it's so surprising. You think you get to a point in your life where you're sort of living with this pain and this discomfort. And you think nothing is ever going to work, and you just don't really hold out a lot of hope. And then it, it was very bizarre after my first CE class, and and my teachers were just, I mean, they're amazing, amazing people. I don't know, you know, that there are even people like this around. They're, they're incredible. Um, but, you know, it was like I went from one day of drinking probably a liter of soda to the next day, not at all, nothing, absolutely nothing. And that had never happened to me before. And, and as a New Yorker, a lot of times what you resort to as your food of choice is a slice of pizza. So I would was probably eating like four slices of pizza a day, and then I did that from one day and the next day, not at all. And it, it's bizarre. I mean, I'm having a hard time with sugar right now and chocolate. And, you know, I didn't for a year and a half, but now I'm sort of going back to that and I need to, you know, I don't know, get the willpower together or something to, you know, to alter that
2: part of it because I wasn't having a problem and now I am. You know, you can, you should make your own chocolate. We do We
1: because, you know, as far as we're concerned, chocolate is one of the major food groups and having a way to consume chocolate on a paleo diet was, you know, one of our primary research projects. And we have discovered ways to have really excellent chocolate. You
2: make it with butter. Oh, that's good. Make On the cocoa powder butter. and salatol.
1: Yeah, you make you take pure cocoa powder and you melt butter and then you stir the chocolate in until it's, you know, really thick and then you add enough xylitol to sweeten it, taste as you go along.
2: Put it in molds. and
1: uh, Yeah, put it in molds, put it in the fridge, let it chill down, and then you pop it out of the molds and you have pieces of wonderful, delightful, excellent chocolate. That's the simplest thing you do, but we well, do things have like... You... Go ahead.
8: Have you, have you found that people have had problems with the xylitol? Because I think I'm having, like... Probably because I was using it, and then it sort of like my kidneys or something. Like I was having problems with it, and
5: because some I liked people
1: it. do have problems with xylitol, yes, that's absolutely certain. Uh, so there's another one you can use. You can use stevia. Try stevia. If xylitol doesn't suit you, uh, different. You know, me personally, I don't, You know, stevia leaves an aftertaste in my mouth, but other people it doesn't. I mean, there are other people in the house here who just you know think they swear by stevia. Uh, so try the different, I'll you know, try
8: just, don't, yeah.
1: just don't uh, use any of those evil things like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, corn syrup or, you know, artificial sweeteners, yeah, yeah. Of, know, aspartame, yeah. aspartame, that kind of crap.
4: And it also might have something to do with the amount you have. For some people, if they go over the limit, they might have more effect with xylitol and of the amount of bacteria you have in your gut. So while you're healing, you might have more reactions to a stronger reaction to xylitol. But when your gut is more, it's in oh, better shape, can
1: tolerate more.
4: So yeah, xylitol
1: is I mean, antibacterial. That makes
8: sense. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense because I found that that's the case, like, with the DMSO. Like, I had a really hard time at first, and now I don't have a hard time. Yeah. And th- thank God for that DMSO because, you know, my back would really be bad, and that's the mm-hmm. only thing that really uh, works for it. I mean, thank God. And for arthritis, things like that. I mean, you guys have, uh, I can't even believe it. Well, you know, I can tell difference.
1: you right now, you know, I, I was in pain with rheumatoid arthritis after an illness that I i experienced when I was uh, nine years old. So from the time I was nine until 2008, when I finally went completely, you know, on the whole detox, you know, work, worked my way into the, the paleo diet and then into the ketogenic diet, I have been pain-free For, you know, all of those years now, what, four years? And to be pain-free after a lifetime of intractable pain, intractable pain, it's just like, it's like for me, it's like a miracle.
8: It really, the allergy part for me has been a miracle. But, you know, it also starts to bring up emotional issues. And so what it has given me more of is an emotional intelligence. I don't know how to put it exactly, Mm -hmm. but, You know, it's like I can start to see the programs that contribute. When I first got on the program, I lost a lot of weight immediately. Uh, And weight around the middle, you know, that I could never have lost before. But I also noticed that that weight contained some sort of psychological programming or emotional programming. I agree. Yeah, as I lost it, it's not just weight. It's not just fat. It's, um, you know, psychological trauma and things like that. Yeah, so that's what I have more of the difficulty, like, and that's what EE helps me with, is gaining some sort of emotional, psychological intelligence that I didn't have before, because I'd always go to, like, repressing it or eating something or something, you know, doing something, something in order to uh, cover it up, because it's like discomfort, you know. It's like, and the way I cope with it is, you know either trying to stuff it back down or ignore it or instead of like, actually coming to terms with it
1: do you uh do you read or participate on our forum i
8: do a little bit I, you know i haven't been doing that as much i read the forum daily and
1: as long um, as you read you know, you'll, you'll you'll keep up with all of the material we've come up with because it sounds to me like you're pretty much on the right way. And if you keep doing the E program, and for me, the most important part of it is doing, you know, doing the nighttime meditation before you go to sleep. To me, that's, a, you know, the greatest thing. And uh, if you do that, it sounds to me like you're on a good path and good track to really recover your health after that nine eleven disaster.
8: Well, it's also like, you know, if I have to do POTS five times a day, I'll do it five times a day. And that's, and that's more of a psychological issue, because I, I found also with the eating of certain things, like you lower, I don't know, you know, you lower your frequency or something, and then you start having really bad dreams, or you start having, uh, you know, it's like that negative air you can get around you, and especially being here in New York, it's very easy to do, you mm-hmm. know, keep walking down the street, but and it can compound itself, and so if I at least listen to pots a few times a day, either to start off my day or to end my day, it's like because I've been reading the forum, people have like uh, really bad dreams and negative things, and they and and I can sense in their writing like they don't think that this is really kind of going to help, but it does. I can tell you, like it really releases all is, of that. It does, and and there's a protection or something to go along with it. You know, I I don't want to make it new agey or anything, but. There's a certain protection that goes along with that. It it helps raise some sort
2: of yeah. What you're really saying is people need to give EE a go. And I just wanted to, since you've been talking about it, Joe, I just wanted to give people the the website address. Uh, The program is called Olas and it's um, at ee-breathe.org. Joe, thanks very much for your call. I don't want to
8: take up any more of your time. Thanks so much for all the shows and thank you for calling. and Jason's been excellent
2: too, okay? Thank All you, right. Kizzy. Bye-bye. Thank you.
4: Hi.
2: All right, we have a call, another caller here. Um, sorry for keeping you on on hold there for so long, caller. What's your name and where you from?
9: Betsy, and I'm in North Carolina.
2: Betsy, you're welcome, welcome Betsy. Hello,
9: hi honey child. <laughs> How y'all doing?
2: Very good. Very good. How are you?
9: I'm doing well, enjoying the radio show again. Okay. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up is what I think a lot of people think about vegetarianism they do it because of the horrible way animals are treated in the meat industry I have a lot of friends battling with this and, and it's true I mean commercial meat these animals are kept in horrific conditions they're tortured and a lot of people are avoiding meat just for that reason so we can't just go and say okay we need to start eating meat it's Takes a little more preparation than that. We need to revitalize our our farm industry, our, our local pigs and cows and and goats and and chickens in the backyard type of industry. Um, Absolutely, I understand. I have friends that are are, are are you know would love a hamburger. Their only reason, and and they even understand that they may even be hurting their health by not eating meat, although. That's a hard sell sometimes, but they're starting to come around and realize, yes, I do need that. As you know we get older and their health deteriorates, we've got a bigger problem here. We've got these animals that are being, I mean, kept in pens that are just, I, I can't even describe. I've seen some of these uh, videos from, from these factory um, uh, pig, pig farmers and cattle feeders and whatnot. Is, is there a lot more to it than just saying, eat meat?
1: Yeah, people need to start supporting uh, family farmers and small farmers. They can get together and, you know, find a farm near their city if they live in the city and, uh, you know, contribute to the support of of the production of enough meat for themselves as a group. You know, this this is one of the things where people need to network together. Uh, You know, of course, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but so many people uh you know as they wake up and become aware of what they're doing to their health or what the you know so-called uh food pyramid is actually doing to them uh they need to start trying to figure out ways and sometimes you know you can't do it alone because a single person isn't able to afford what a group can afford and sometimes you know if you have a group somebody may have a little more money than the other person and they just kind of pull it all together to you know purchase their you know freezer full of meat for a period of time so those are those are some things that people can do if they can't raise their own of course if you can raise your own if you have enough space uh, probably the most economical critter to raise is, is a pig, yeah, a pig and maybe some chickens. Of course, you know, some of us around here don't eat much chicken, but it's it's not too bad. Uh, so you can, uh, pigs will eat, you know, a lot of things, and they don't require as much care or as much pasturage as, say, a cow. So there's a lot of things that can be done, and those things really need to be considered. We, we buy... Um, we buy meat from a farmer who raises pigs out in, a, in you know in the forest, and they're acorn raised. They run around loose all the time, eating acorns, and then right towards the end, you know, he brings them in, and then they become our pork chops. So you know we're pretty sure they're not GMO, and, and they haven't been fed any GMO grains or anything, and they uh, and they've had a, a nice fun life running around in the forest chasing each other, eating all those acorns.
9: And you're lucky, because I mean, or even around here, up here in the mountains, where it's very rural, it's very hard to find farmers still producing enough to like sell to the individual. You That's either have surprising. a farmer who has a contract with one of these large, you know, conglomerates, or we've driven. They've just been driven completely out of business. I think it's all part of the, the overall scheme that the American farmer. Has just been sent into bankruptcy. You know Absolutely. they can't. With, with the level of regulation on, if you want to sell meat here, you know raising it for yourself you can do. But if you want to
1: sell meat here to the general public,
9: there's this long list. I mean, a book of regulations that you have to follow.
1: And that's by design, I would
3: suggest. And, and the I regulations.
1: Agree, you know. The
3: regulations about the big food industry players don't follow
1: mm-hmm. yeah they don't want people to eat meat because they don't want people to be healthy because they don't want people to have you know fully functioning bodies and brains because fully functioning people can wake up and be aware and act and react appropriately
4: well all the meat they want them to eat is the meat that was fed gmos and grains and there's like the last figure i read was uh 13 slaughterhouses in the entire u.s That's like nothing, you know, it's all these huge farms, Mm -hmm. fed grain, sick, you know, the antibiotics just keep them alive. So obviously, you know, vegetarians have a good reason to go, like you were saying, you know, they really do have a good reason to uh, think that that's going to at least not do so much harm. The, The problem is they don't know about the destruction caused by vegetables themselves on the body and on the planet. So it's not the solution to become a vegetarian. The solution is what Laura was just saying, networking and trying to find local people, if they still exist. And grow your own, you maybe grow, your own. grow some
1: extras for friends and do some trading. It's uh,
3: They're coming from the right place, you know, the heart's in the right place, but they've got to be in good health themselves if they want to do anything about it. Mm-hmm.
9: It also has to do with profit margin. They They have such a huge profit margins on their grains and vegetables, whereas the profit margin... For I mean, if it was profitable for them to sell meat to the way that um, they do to promote meat the way that they do vegetables and wheat, they would. Um, they're not because even though there is a profit margin, I, I forgot the, the the exact figures, but it was like say a five hundred percent profit margin on meat, where it's a five thousand percent profit margin on vegetables. Mm-hmm. A much larger profit margin for them than the meat industry. That's why they've been running
1: down the meat industry.
2: So they it
1: comes back to greed. Greed, yeah. 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 We're in a hell of a mess, aren't we? Oh, it seems hopeless
9: sometimes. It really does. It seems utterly hopeless sometimes. We've gotten so far. I, I spent an entire weekend one time just looking for local bacon.
1: Oh, my God.
9: Just just looking for it, just trying to find it. Couldn't find any. My closest is the Earth Fair over in Big City and then just cuz it says it's free range or organic doesn't mean it is. They they lie. They they they're not held to any standard on those packages. It's it's hard.
1: It's very it's, difficult. It's, de- it's depressing. It's depressing. Well, maybe you can start making up some flyers and start putting them around for people and letting them know about the dangers of uh vegetarianism and the advantages of really good meat and saying, you know, let's have a meeting and talk about this and let's find some people who've got a little bit of land and we'll all get together and pitch in some money and help them uh, get a couple of critters to raise and we'll help buy the feed and then we'll all have some meat. You know, I mean, that's one way
2: to go about it. Yeah, and you don't even need to. I mean, there's there's obviously butchers in your area. So, I mean, what people around here do that, that raise their own um, animals, they... they have a butcher that butchers them for them right we We have have one of those
9: in in a town about 15 20 miles from here um and that's it everybody there goes there Um, well i know my aunt
1: my aunt and uncle live in north florida and they've uh up until my uncle passed away uh two years ago they were and they may still be doing it they were raising their own cattle you know they'd raise two or three cows a year. Uh, he had what you know, forty, fifty acres of pasture that he'd put them on, and then uh, as soon as they were ready, uh, there's a local butcher who would come around and you know, they, or he would come and pick them up and then bring them back the meat, packaged the way they wanted it. So it's it still does happen in some rural areas, but you know, it sounds to me like there, where you are, it's it's getting to be more, uh, more less rural than rural. It, well
9: it, that and they've all turned crops to try mm-hmm. to save their farms i mean they can't make the money on on the cattle and on the the pigs like they used to um yeah. mainly because of the, there's only one place around here that they can get it butchered out um they have to sell it at a market at auction sometimes they would get less than what they just put into the feed over the winter
0: so oh, i mean they
9: they've run it down to the point that most we do have a lot of farmland around here but it's almost all planted Mm-hmm. So if yeah. there's one place that has managed to meet all the regulations and whatnot that you can actually take your meat in there. Uh, a meat process. Well, there's two. There's one up in Franklin, one in Bryson, but there's one close, you know, within 15 minutes or so that actually has all the regulations that they they've they've managed to meet this long government criteria to where you can take your your pig in there and you can get back you know your pork. A lot of places you'll take a pig in and they'll weigh it. And they'll say, okay, you've got a 600-pound pig here. That's going to translate to um, 500 pounds of pork. And then they just give you 500 pounds of pork. They don't – you don't necessarily don't get, get your own meat. animal back. Ah.
1: So, I mean, the, nice. they got that don't scam know what you're going on. No,
9: absolutely not. So to, there's only one place that I know of for certain where you actually get the animal back that you took in this close by. Now, there's another one a couple hours away, but – close by, and, you know, transporting a a 600-pound hog is not an easy thing to do. A friend of mine does raise them. I do get a little each year, but certainly not. I'm I'm at the local Save-A-Lot buying the commercial nine times out of ten.
1: Yeah, well, it would be worth it to support people who are doing that, and if they were seen to be, you know, being successful, you know, maybe some people could get together and go over there, uh, you know, together and if they were successful then other people might start doing it. You know, somehow it's, it's gotta somehow it's gotta change and sometimes we have to bootstrap ourselves out of a situation with an air hook.
9: Yep. I agree. It's just hard to know which way to go.
1: Yeah. Well thank you, Betsy, for calling and it's good to talk to you. It's good to talk and, to y'all. And Love and the
9: show. Listen everybody. Go have a
1: pork chop.
9: I'm gonna I might have some bacon.
1: Oh, bacon's better.
9: Yep. Going to have some bacon. I've gotten all depressed now. Time for bacon.
10: Y'all have a good show,
9: though. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.
2: -bye. Bye. Bye. So, GMOs, evil. They are evil. I I wonder sometimes, you know, there's been these court cases against Monsanto by farmers. Mm. Because Monsanto are rather... Monsanto has taken cases has sued farmers because uh, the crop that the farmers were growing had been contaminated, infected with, you know, naturally with uh, Monsanto Roundup Ready or GMO crop being grown beside them and Monsanto and claims partial ownership of those cross-fertilized crops, you know and I'm wondering if ultimately it's going to go to the point where because they're feeding a lot of these grains to animals, that Monsanto will then claim some ownership on the animal, but only if it grows two heads or six legs.
4: A franken you know, pork pig.
2: That you can spot Monsanto's uh Monsanto's animals, farm animals by the extra legs or ears or tails or something, you know. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, just recently there's a Supreme Court case um,
3: in, in, in just w- one of those cases where Monsanto have taken a farmer court mm-hmm. there have been 400 apparently, yeah.
2: 400 farmers
3: and one I think involved Monsanto in. against Bowman Yeah, was recently heard in the Supreme Court and this wasn't even a case of cross po- pollination this was a case of this farmer had a contract with Monsanto um, whereby he would use their seeds and then he would have to renew to get a new supply He seeds couldn't from. use the same, the same seeds. Well, what he, did, what he did was he couldn't afford to do that the next growing season. So he wanted to use the So he seeds bought from other seeds from someone else. Okay. And the Monsanto agent somehow got wind of this. And this was not, in his his contract, it was stipulated that he could not do that. He had to keep going back to Monsanto to buy seeds
2: for each season. Yeah, and I think the rationale behind that was because he couldn't plant non-GMO, non-Monsanto grain or crop in the same field as Monsanto GMO. Because ultimately, the Monsanto GMO crop would fertilize the other one and they would then have ownership of it. He couldn't split his, his field down the middle, you know, and say Monsanto on the right, no Monsanto on the left, because Monsanto said, well, that would all ultimately be ours. So you're not allowed to do that.
1: Yeah, if some pollen from our grain gets on your grain, we own it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, this has happened. I mean, they found in, in South America, they found found, uh, and probably in the U.S., but definitely in South America, they've found Monsanto genetically modified crop 1,000 miles from the nearest supposed GMO crop. So I mean, it's it's not something that they control, and and obviously they're happy enough with that because if it spreads around the world on the wind, then they own it all. They'll file they'll file suit to.
4: the world! It's just amazing that they let it happen. I mean, there weren't any studies uh, about the effect of GMOs. The ones that exist got suppressed, or the scientists themselves got lost their jobs or got attacked viciously. Mm-hmm. And they allow these seeds to be everywhere, to spread everywhere. There's hardly any actual natural seed. I mean, the farmers in um, in all Latin America are, are really uh, angry about it for, because, for example, in Mexico, there's hardly any uh, original corn left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just everything got polluted. They have they managed to have patented nature itself, life itself, mm-hmm. and there then they're in cahoots with all the pharmaceuticals who produce these drugs that heal the. Exact same diseases that these grains cause. I mean, just, um, what is it, um, Novartis, okay, which then got merged into Syng- um, Syngenta. Syngenta.
3: It's one of the big three.
4: The main drugs are, a drug. I won't read you the names, but the, the diseases is osteoporosis, hypertension, dermatitis, Alzheimer's, uh, asthma, uh, cancer, diabetes, psychosis. Well,
2: oh, hang on. They're I all, mean, they're all, all the, the diseases that are linked to,
4: to carbs. Precisely. I mean, they control everything. So, I mean...
2: They, they,
4: give you the, they give you the food,
1: Dairy that causes the diseases, and then sell you the drug.
4: Jeez, this sounds like V for Vendetta. My God. And the worst thing is that it's people... Global. I mean, you guys have talked about this whole chemtrail thing. Okay, People obsessing about this whole conspiracy chemtrails, and most of them are contrails, and you know, And they try to look at, for conspiracies where there are none. none or very little. While they eat their pizza and drink their beer. Not only that, but they're willingly going to the supermarket to buy their own poison. And then they go to the pharmacy to buy, buy their own drugs. So they're actually paying but to be a, dumbed down and, yeah, and, they, and, they don't know and it. made sick. And they don't know it. I mean, but you, there's
2: obviously a number being done on people here, on farmers. Because crops produce seeds with which you can grow more crops. So how are farmers willingly paying Monsanto for for seed that um that they have to continue paying Monsanto for because, every single year? Because the seed is
3: usually terminator seed. It's tweaked so it that it cannot be regrown.
1: Yeah, but how how do they promote this? I mean, do they say this well, the seed is going to grow so much
2: better, it's going to Well, they say grow that, more. but they've done studies to show it, that GMOs are, are do not pro- provide a better yield from normal normal grain and they do not provide any better health benefits in in terms of the of the of the vegetable or the grain that is produced. They're yes. no better. So,
1: There's it's no basically a, uh to use a little a little uh metaphor here, a pig in a poke
4: <laughs> exactly, yeah, well so the number they pulled in many countries was to give them for free the first time, yeah. look at haiti, for example well, drug and drug
2: pushers do that as well, yeah, first one's free, yeah,
4: yeah it's exactly then, like a drug pusher exactly, and then they said, uh, or the number they paid in many South American countries was like, well, we helped you develop agriculture and the and your you know your gross profit profit um grew. Mm-hmm. in such and such year. Now you owe us. Therefore, we need to get some money back from this deal. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you need to buy the seeds. But first, they hooked them up exactly like a drug dealer mm-hmm. saying, here's all the free seeds. I mean, even the FAO is saying, well, they they issued a, a report. It no, the FAO, the UN. Okay. And they said, uh, well, how are we going to combat hunger in the world? And they said, well, we're going to send, check this out, improved seeds, nowhere in the document. Do they mention GMOs? Mm-hmm. They just say we're going to in, send improved seeds, and for that purpose, we need private companies to ensure that uh, the quality is good and they get distributed uh, properly. So I mean, right there, you have the UN supposedly saving hungry people, giving them a seed that's going to bind them forever. And what happens to these local farmers? There was a um, in I think it was in Ghana mm-hmm. that. Um, that the whole local industry got destroyed. The the, agriculture, the farmers had to stop doing... Their, their crops got destroyed after a couple of years, you know, with the seeds, they deplete the soil and everything. Mm-hmm. And what do you get in those countries? You get people working in telemarketing companies or producing microchips for developed countries. I mean, that's not helping the local economy. That's not helping the poor countries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And speaking of poor countries not being helped... You know, one of the things that goes along with this particular, and it's really kind of a bizarre uh, uh, turnaround, a dichotomy even, that they promote food that causes diabetes, and at the same time, the mass media is promoting people who are stick thin as being the ideal of beauty. This is mm. probably the only period of history, and I do a, read a lot of history, it's probably the only period of history I know where people are considered to be attractive when they look like they've just stepped out of a concentration camp.
2: And that's the way people...
4: And the whole anti-fat thing got promoted in the 50s. And it it was just a lie. I mean, there weren't any studies really done with saturated animal fat. They were all made with uh, hydrogenated oils and plastic oils, basically. Well,
2: they overlooked animal fats. but, But they did say, I mean, somehow or other... By the early, by the late seventies, early eighties, somehow or other, people in in Western Europe and America got the idea. Mothers all around those those regions of the world got the idea that red meat and fat was bad for you, and you should not feed it to your children. And they changed from butter as well to margarine, cut out red meat and fat, and started feeding more vegetables. And I mean. I know this personally because I, my mother did exactly that, and I, I remember the time when we used to get kidney and liver and butter, and then suddenly it all, all, for me it was like almost overnight where it changed, and there was obviously a propaganda campaign because my mother didn't, didn't wasn't hooked up with any, you know, industry insiders who told her this was all good stuff to, to change over to. She, it, was, it was part of a propaganda that everybody was subjected to, and again we come back to the idea of greed that it was cheaper for them. Or these companies could produce these synthetic fats, essentially, uh, a lot cheaper than they could provide real fat. So they just said, let's go with that. And they overlooked all of the clear, if they did any research, they overlooked the clear health health uh, effects, the negative health effects of eating that kind of um, uh, vegetable oils.
3: But uh, well, what's insidious about it is that they have these cook studies that justify uh, all these moves you just described, because it, uh, these things are bad for people's health, and what happens then? <clears throat> health problems explode yep. as a result of this,
2: mm-hmm. and they don't care because pharmaceutical uh, big big pharma gets, makes billions of pushing drugs and all these people who now have all of these uh, modern illnesses that are they're falling. And and someone uh, on, just wrote to us and said, look at them. Farmers, uh, the suicide rate <clears throat> among farmers in the U.S. is at an epidemic level. In the U.S.? Yeah. I know of that. Small Italy,
3: farmers. Even in the U.S., yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. It says here that at this point, in the U.S., 93% of soybeans and 86% of corn crops are all from GM, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means that this this uh, GMO monopoly, Monsanto, Syngenta, uh, DuPont,
2: have already got the U.S. Mm-hmm. food supply.
4: And 90% of uh, processed foods contain one of those grains. So Yeah,
2: it's, it's, we're not just talking about you and, eating soybeans.
3: And it's or, not
4: labeled. So oh, you yeah, these are
2: foundation like foods for
3: everything Everything
4: else. You can buy whatever, peanut butter or whatever. It's not going to be labeled. So 90% of what you eat, if you have a normal American standard diet, is GMO. Yeah, and All even right. on,
2: even on the labeling in the last elections in the U.S., Yeah. Uh, In California, it was up for uh, debate or up for. They they tried to pass a bill that GMO, uh, big pharma or GMO producing companies would have to label their products. Proposition 37. Yes. It was rejected, Mm -hmm. supposedly by the Californian people, but it was rejected because there was a massive lobbying campaign by these GMO producers and also by members of representatives in, in Congress. And the, the the claim was that to label products as GMO that were GMO would negatively affect local businesses like local farmers and all that kind of stuff because people would stop buying them. Well, yeah, because they're bad for you. They should stop buying them. But they're saying, no, listen, you know, your health comes second to profit, to the local economy and profit.
1: And what's, what's really, really horrifying as we've. Mentioned already is what these foods do to your body, and it's not just uh, it's not just the fact that they're GMO. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the fact that they are carbohydrates,
2: that they are grains, mm-hmm. that they are vegetables. The double whammy.
1: And the the thing that is obvious is that there is something happening to the population of this planet because diabetes rheumatoid arthritis, heart disease, cancer, have risen shockingly. That's probably the real hockey stick graph, you know, in our world, is the rise in these kinds of diseases that goes hand in hand with the decline of the consumption of saturated fats and meat. The more vegetables and the more uh, polyunsaturated fats or the less fats people eat, the more diabetes, cancer, uh, arthritis, uh lupus, uh ms, uh alzheimers, parkinsons, you know, all these kinds of autoimmune disorders they are getting. I mean, it's absolutely I mean, if people can't see that, then they're deaf, dumb and blind, you know? I mean, it's obviously the only reason they couldn't see it would be because they've eaten so many grains and vegetables that their brains don't work anymore. Yeah. And on that on that, you know, I have a I have a little book here. I really would like to share a little bit with uh, some of the readers or listeners, <clears throat> and it's called Why We Get Fat, and it's by Gary Tobbs, who is a science journalist, and he also wrote a great book called Good Calories, Bad Calories, which is, uh, this book is kind of like a condensation of the good calories, bad calories, but I just want to, I want to give you something to think about in terms of what you're eating and what it can do to you. So here, let me read just a little bit. He says, in the early 1970s, a young researcher at the University of Massachusetts named George Wade set out to study the relationship between sex hormones, weight, and appetite. Now, just keep that sex hormones business in mind because you know everybody's on Viagra these days. Mm -hmm. So, he wanted to uh, study the relationship between sex hormones, weight, and appetite by removing the ovaries from rats. And obviously these were female rats. He then monitored their subsequent weight and behavior. The effects of the surgery were suitably dramatic. The rats, after the removal of their ovaries, would begin to eat voraciously and quickly became fat. And if we didn't know any better, we would assume from this that removal of the rat's ovaries makes it a glutton. The rat eats too much, the excess calories find their way to the fat tissue, and the animal becomes obese. This would confirm our preconception that overeating is responsible for obesity in humans as well. But Wade did a revealing second experiment, removing the ovaries from rats, putting them on a strict post-surgical diet. So even if these second group of rats were ravenously hungry after the surgery, even if they desperately wanted to be gluttons, they couldn't because in the lingo of the experimental science, the second experiment controlled for overeating. The rats, post-surgery, were only allowed the same amount of food they would have eaten had they never had the surgery. And what happened is not what you'd probably think. These rats that had their food restricted after surgery got just as fat, just as fast. But these rats were now completely sedentary, They moved only when movement was required to get food. The way Wade explained it was, the animal doesn't get fat because it overeats. It overeats because it's being driven by some mechanisms within to get fat. The cause and effect are reversed. Both gluttony and sloth are effects of the drive to get fatter. They are caused fundamentally by a defect in the regulation of the animal's tissue. Now think about that. So then, skipping over some other uh, material here, he says, had we been discussing disorders of growth, why some people grow to be more than seven feet tall and others never make it to four feet, the only subject of the discussion would be the hormones and the enzymes that regulate growth. And yet, when we're discussing a disorder in which the defining system is the abnormal growth of fat tissue... The hormones and enzymes that regulate the growth are considered to be irrelevant. Okay, now, here's a little story. That obesity runs in families, that is, we're more likely to be fat if our parents were fat, and that the local distribution of fat itself can be a genetic attribute, attribute, tells us that body fat is regulated because how else would genes passed from generation to generation influence our fat and where we put it, if not through hormones and enzymes and other factors that regulate it? That the amount of fat and even the type of fat animals carry is carefully regulated also argues for this conclusion. We are, after all, just another species of animals. Animals in the wild, some of them may be naturally fat. Hippopotamus, for instance, and whales. They put on fat seasonally as insulation in preparation for the cold of winter or as fuel for annual migrations or hibernations. Females will fatten in preparation for giving birth. Males will fatten to give them a weight advantage in fights for females. But they never get obese, meaning they won't suffer adverse health consequences from their fat the way humans do. No matter how abundant their food supply, wild animals will maintain a stable weight, not too fat, not too thin, which tells us that their bodies are assuring that the amount of fat in their fat tissue always works to their advantage and never becomes a hindrance to survival. When animals do put on a significant fat amount, that fat is always there for a good reason. The animals are as healthy with it as without it. Excellent examples of how carefully animals, and so presumably humans, regulate their fat accumulation are hibernating rodents, ground squirrels, which double their weight and body fat in just a few weeks of late summer. Dissecting these squirrels at their peak weight, as one researcher described it, is like opening a can of Crisco, enormous gobs of fat, all over the place. But these squirrels will accumulate this fat regardless of how much they eat, just like Wade's ovary-less rats. They can be housed in a laboratory, kept on a strict diet from springtime when they awake from hibernation through late summer, and they'll get just as fat as squirrels allowed to eat to their heart's content. They'll burn the fat through the winter and lose it at the same rate whether they remain awake in a warm laboratory with food available or go into full hibernation eating not a bite and surviving solely off their fat supplies. If an animal that requires enormous gobs of fat for its winter fuel were to require excessive amounts of food to accumulate that fat, then one bad summer would have long ago wiped out the entire species. Now, I want you to think about <clears throat> the survival of the human species and what this tendency for so many people to be suffering from these conditions might actually suggest. Uh Is there something in our environment? I mean, is the very fact that we're eating so much of this kind of food sort of a signal to our genes that something very difficult is coming our way and causing people to put on fat? Because if you're eating a lot of grains and vegetables, that means you're in an environment that your body doesn't think is very abundant. Your body considers an abundant environment to be one where you get meat every day. When you get meat every day, all kinds of systems, you know, get turned on and off in your body and, you know, everything behaves differently. But if you're getting all of this vegetable matter and these grains and things, then what is obviously happening is that it's sending signals to your genes. And your genes are changing everything around in your body and causing people to get fat, to get diabetic diseases, to get other kinds of diseases that make them unable to get around or to do things. Basically, I think it's a signal to the human species that it's time for a whole lot of you to die off and go extinct. And that's really what's happening, and that's what this food the people is eating, what these GMO foods, what these high-grain diets, these high-vegetable diets are signaling, that it's it's an interactive dynamic between the massive human population on this planet and the environment itself saying it's time to go extinct because either that or we've got one hell of an ice age coming because, I mean, what else are you
4: going to use all that fat for? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what Lear Keith says, you know, that we have a choice between being natural predators or destroyers, you know. And humanity at this point has reached a stage where, you know, we have this, we have destroyed the earth, or we are about to, you know. So um, what they've managed, I mean, you have these people who are overweight but are unhealthy, you know, is is completely at the opposite end of people who would have stores of fat. Needed for survival in case of you know what seems to be coming not in the not too distant future, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are either um, have problems linked to obesity or you know heart diseases, diabetes, etc. That wouldn't be able to survive no matter how much how much fat yeah, I mean, they have accumulated.
2: Isn't fat production associated with, with toxins as well? In the sense that if you're eating yeah. a lot of toxic foods. Uh, and artificial food synthetic food that fat is produced to, to isolate that from the I would say that you
1: know, based on the uh the artifacts found among the Paleolithic communities of our, you know, distant ancestors, you know, twenty, thirty thousand years ago, uh there were people who were very, very fat. They had these Venus figurines mm-hmm. and and the some of the statuary on the island of Malta and, and you know, basically all over all over Europe and into Anatolia uh there these figures of these very fat women and they were obviously getting fat uh without the problem of gmo without grains necessarily mm-hmm. uh without you know uh, eating too many vegetables so getting fat is not necess- is not fundamentally a problem of toxicity mm-hmm. but in this day and time considering the environment we live in it is a problem of toxicity.
2: Yeah, you see a lot of people with with what you call wheat belly. Yeah. Which is, you know, their their fat only in one particular area.
1: Well that's one area where it's not good to have fat because the kind of fat that uh he's talking about here that is normal and natural usually doesn't collect on your belly. It no. collects you know, for women it's around their thighs, their backside, you know, their uh their upper arms or I mean just look at some of these old paleolithic images. you'll see where you're supposed to be fat mm-hmm. and that's that's where they were supposed to be fat and they you know we don't know exactly what was going on during those times, but it was probably during the height of an ice age so uh clearly, but, clearly, having some weight on you makes you much better able if it's healthy weight, you know it can't it can't be toxic weight and it can't be caused from inflammation. you know caused from inflammation. It can't be from uh too many carbs or whatever because like he just said, you know, they sequester these creatures and you know, the hibernating creatures, you know, eating even minimal amounts of food will still gain the same amount of weight as if they were allowed to eat, you know, unreservedly. Mm. And the others, you know, being sequestered after having their, you know, their hormones removed uh, their sex hormones by having their ovaries removed, they they still gain the same. They they became very lethargic because the body becomes extremely conservative and it wants to keep everything. So you stop, you know, all systems get shut down in the drive to put on weight. Mm-hmm. So it's really uh, it's not so simple a problem as as we've been given to think. It's not um, mainly it's not because people overeat. Certainly they do overeat, but the problem is what is driving them to do that what is what is causing it and it's uh
4: and it's kind of when you think you just reminded me of what you said during the last show you know about um uh cosmic virus and what could happen after a cometary explosion overhead explosion or not, and you know give or take two years, say if it's overhead for a plague-type virus to arrive, you know. And if you look at the population, I mean, you, I think we can assume that 80% of the population at least is is either overweight and unhealthy or underweight and unhealthy. And unhealthy. So right there you have the people who wouldn't have a, uh, an, an immune system that is strong enough to fight whatever's coming. I mean, it's like so unnatural selection, but that turns into natural selection yeah
1: and another thing is is that uh when you have people who don't have at least a little weight on them uh they they don't survive illnesses as well. I mean, there's old folk wisdom that I grew up with that uh you should you know feed your babies and your kids and have them to be a little bit chubby because God forbid one of your children should get sick and be unable to eat for a couple of weeks a couple of you know a week or ten days without being able to eat for a small child is an enormous weight loss, and they may not have the, the the stores in their body to survive such a thing. And that was understood in those days. Of course, now, oh, well, we have modern medicine. We can give you a drug, and we can take care of that for you. You know, just don't worry about it. Uh, uh, make your kids skinny because all the kids are just way too fat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the children suing their parents for giving them, you know, too much good food. You know, Mom, you made me fat, and uh, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> uh because they all want to look like concentration camp victims you know it's it's uh and if you look if you look at photographs since the invention of photography like historical photographs social photographs heck you know just go and watch uh watch the early years of um uh Perry Mason TV show and look at the women and how they were you know how and And kind of lush they were, look at Marilyn Monroe for crying all night. I mean she was a really plump gal, and then look at women nowadays look at the look at the models on the runway at the fashion shows you know they they look like coat hangers, so it's uh there's a lot of things concerned with this issue of food g m o what people are eating genetics uh diseases, drugs. Uh, destruction of the planet, you know, extinction of humanity. It's a very uh it's a very interrelated, dot connected subject.
2: Mhm. Definitely is, and there's also the idea of, we've we've talked about the human element in terms of all these producers of and controllers of the of crops and manufacturers of GMO crops, but there's also the plants themselves. Plants are alive and they have a biological imperative to propagate themselves around the world. And they do that largely by being eaten uh, and passing seeds through the animal or whatever. Some of them. Well, yeah, quite a lot of them. But Some,
1: some of the plants that human beings eat, they eat the seeds. They're eating the young of another species. Yeah. When you eat grains... You're eating the young of another species, and those grains have defense mechanisms. They're called maintain, lectins.
2: Well, to maintain the yeah, maintain themselves intact, so that when they're passed, they will then propagate around the world. So you know, someone eats a a bushel of wheat in uh, you know in the U.S. and you know gets in a plane, and flies over to Europe. And, and uh,
1: uh, uh, wait a minute! You don't eat a bushel of wheat as intact seeds. It's ground up and destroyed. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. They but they have chemicals. They produce chemicals in their Seeds that prevent other creatures from eating them because by making them sick. Human beings are the only people who have found ways to overcome, you know, vegetable and plant lectins to continue to eat them when, okay. when then what, what they're getting is destroying their body. Well, here's
2: another idea, then maybe I'm, maybe I'm um,
1: fruits are usually the only fruit, ones. Yes.
2: But maybe maybe I'm ascribing too much intelligence to to um, to.
1: I don't know. A plant eat. that can poison you to keep you from eating its babies is no, in my I'm, book. No, but
2: I'm still on the propagation thing here in terms of plants are aware of what humans do and that humans can spread the plants, not through eating them, but around the world Mostly so fruit. that plants have adapted to be much, very palatable, i.e. addictive to human beings so that they, I think Lear, Lear Keith actually talks about this. Well, in the, I, yeah, I, I think the in ones terms that, of the, that
1: propagate that way are mainly fruits yeah. and let's face it, the fruits that our ancestors had available to them were not nearly as sweet and addictive as the ones we have nowadays. So I'm sure that they were nice and sweet and tasty. And if you took a a bunch of blueberries or a bunch of apples or pears of the primitive variety that were probably, you know, so tart, they'd turn your mouth inside Mm -hmm. out, put a little honey with it. Mm -hmm. And you're definitely going to be planting pear trees as you (laughs) travel across country. Mm -hmm.
4: Well, I think what Leo Keith says uh, is that in the case of fruits, um, you know, one of the beliefs is that, yeah, well, you know, they adapted to uh, spread the seeds out. But where do you dump the seeds today? Yeah. you're not planting a new tree. You're not respecting the apple uh, tree because you ate an apple. You just dump it in the garbage. You know, that's the whole – or most seeds go to waste. And in the case of the annual uh, seeds, annual crops, corn, soy Mm – um, they actually adapted more to producing even more gluten, even more opioids,
2: exactly, because
4: that's what makes people addicted to them. Yeah,
2: but why would they? From an adaptive point of view, why? What, what's the benefit of that?
4: Well, the annuals get to reproduce, and the annuals are destroying the topsoil. No, the, from the yeah, plant? But my question them is, up,
1: destroy them to eat them? You grind them up and destroy them to eat them.
2: Yeah, so from an adaptive point of view, the the plant would have to understand the way humans propagate the plant, i.e. by spreading them around the world and feeding them. So they'd say, hang on, I know a corn seed, a corn plant would say, you know what, these humans need to really love me because I want them to spread me all around the world. And I would say, I'm going to make myself extra addictive and glutinous and sugary (laughs) and they'll just love me and plant me everywhere. So that, that's what I mean by ascribing yeah. too much intelligence to Yeah,
1: that's that's going up a level in the ascribing of intelligence. This, I mean, this,
2: you know, it I'm, could happen. I'm not it's sure could I
1: could go there.
2: <laughs> I mean, they may become sentient and take over the world. And, you know, it will be like the, what do you call it, the eggplant that ate Chicago?
4: Well, there's... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, are they? Because they, they are needing more and more uh, pesticides, more and more fertilizer. I mean, wasn't it forced by human beings that production...
1: How do we know that the lect- uh, that the, the gluten, the lectins, and the well, we know the lectins are produced to prevent other mm-hmm. creatures from eating them, but the opioids, you know, the gluten's, uh, you know, how do we know that there is not some other purpose for that other than addicting human beings so that they'll want to go and plant more corn or wheat or whatever? Or what
2: are they? What is it? Well,
1: I don't know, but you know, it's something that deserves a little research before we decide that plants have just have. have Plan to addict human beings. I was
2: just throwing it out there as a possibility. <laughs> I wasn't saying it was true, you know. Well, I mean, you know, f- I, I'm not sure. I
1: like to think about you know the the fields that I pass by, you know, when I go somewhere as as, as lo- lo- looking <laughs> looking at me with with some kind of you know desi-
4: conspiracy in their mind.
2: having yeah.
1: yeah, having designs on my activities. Well, you know? the yeah. best
4: fertilizer for the soil that is for these plants is bones, blood. And you, oh, so there so if they wanted to kill us all faster to yeah. get more fertilizer, there you go. you have the intelligent brain. right now
2: right now there's, there's right a, now a there's stock a
4: wheat plant and a has
2: stock of corn <laughs> in is, a field, then yep. just wait
1: just wait, <laughs> yeah,
2: where these people will be dead soon, <laughs> and our master plan
1: <laughs> will be <laughs> complete complete <laughs> ah, ah, ah,
2: ah. it could be, it could be, but yeah, on the whole fat thing saturated fat thing. I just want people to know that uh, this was from 2010. Two major studies conclude that saturated fat, i.e., animal fat, does not cause heart disease. Let's all say it together. Saturated
1: Saturated fat
2: does not cause heart disease. Despite the last 30 years
1: of propaganda. Yeah. Propaganda and drumming
2: that into everybody. uh, This is from. According to the World Health Organization and WHO FAO report, uh, there is no association between coronary heart disease and saturated fat. But there is a
1: very strong correlation between coronary Mm -hmm. heart disease and carbohydrates. Yes. Because the heart burns fat for fuel. It needs fat. If you give it the fat directly then it has quick and easy fuel. If you give it carbohydrates, which it then has to mess around and try to convert into some kind of fat to feed the heart, and if you don't have any good fats in your body, all you have is that plastic that comes from hydrogenated vegetable oils, you're screwed. You're going to have coronary artery artery disease, you're going to have atherosclerosis, you know, you you're
4: probably going to you know die any minute now.
3: Absolutely.
0: <clears throat>
4: and look at what they've done with the statins. I mean, that's supposed to keep you from having another heart attack and stuff. I mean, that drug is so toxic. And it's one of the, or the uh, one that uh, gave the pharmaceuticals the highest profit. I don't know if it's the highest one or among the highest, but it's billions of profit.
3: It's one of their staples.
4: That are killing people. And, yet and they're taking, giving it to everybody. And for all their lives, you can't just stop it once you have it. I mean, it's criminal. Yeah. So again, yeah. you have the pharmaceuticals and the agro-industry.
1: And of course, they don't want anybody looking into natural foods or eating according to traditional ways or engaging in alternative therapies or any kind of herbal medicines or you know anything of that kind because that cuts into their profits because if people start feeling better and getting well, I mean... You know, like here in France, they have a whole organization called Miviludes that that goes out and searches out any group or any organization that promotes any kind of natural uh, therapies, any kind of natural health. They have even raided people, believe it or not, with the police, with helicopters, whole nine yards, for growing organic, organic. vegetables. They have raided people for teaching yoga. Uh, you know, we had a long run in with them over the year 2010 because we were teaching the Aero breathing program, a scientific method for stimulating the vagus nerve, which helps improve your health, of course. You know, so we know about this personally, uh, you know, but this is, and who are these big, uh, pharmaceutical and agro, agricultural companies in France? It's, uh. Well, there's two or three of them that are really big, and they just run the whole show and they're all in bed with the politicians and they're all in bed with the miveludes people the anti cult people because don't you know you're a cult if you promote uh natural healing if you promote organic foods if you promote you know uh ancestral diets uh, you know anything except drugs and the uh, food pyramid, which tells you that you must eat lots of grain and lots of vegetables, five servings a day, and plenty of sugar. I mean, the I mean, considering they're so concerned about people's health, the number of commercials on television in this country that sell chocolate breakfast cereals, or that sell these chocolate-covered Milky Bars uh, for children, and it shows all these children sitting around just having these, you know, fantastic dreams and. And incredible experiences because they have bitten into this uh, this chocolate covered uh, milky stuff. And you go to any boulanger, I mean boulangeries are on every corner. I mean the French eat bread like
3: it's going out of business.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like the staple diet, you know. And I'm telling you, when the plague
4: comes, well. And, you know, it's not just in France because the U.S. is going in that direction, too, with the whole cold deprogramming and and the the nutritional pyramid. When you look at 1992, when they passed that law where they said we're not going to differentiate anymore between GMOs and organic foods, that's the year when they started promoting, you know, if you're online, you can check it out. You know, the traditional pyramid, you have the grains at the bottom. Pretty much, 80% of your diet should be grains, and then the fat, the animal fats, are way at the top. You know, tiny amounts. Nowadays, you should, if you haven't seen it, you should see the modern 2005 pyramid. I mean, it's just ridiculous. On the, not only do you have big sections for grains and vegetables, more than half the pyramid, but when it comes to vegetables, for for example, you have canned beans in the pyramid, then you have that's a vegetable, yes, including the can. Then you have canned peaches.
1: That's a fruit. <laughs> then
4: you have uh, some kind of hydrogenated oil from the look of it. It looks like almost transparent. And then you have canned tuna and I mean, peanut butter. I mean, that's in the nutrition. That's, that is good for the American population. That's all you need. And most recently, this pyramid supposedly was too complicated. Now they call it my dish, I think. My plate. My plate. Yeah. So you have like... You know, like those Because little... people don't know what a pyramid is. Yeah. yeah, and you know those little games you have for four years old where they have to put pieces together into yeah. a pie? Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like that, except you have half of it full of grains and the rest, you know, a little bit of fat and stuff. And nothing, none of it would be something that our paleo ancestors ate. And nobody talks about hunter-gatherer diseases. Everybody talks about modern diseases. I mean, it's just like, you know, what Corey was saying at the beginning. People are so
2: they can't even read or write yeah. anymore. Yeah. We got we got a call here. Hi, what's your name and where you calling from? Hi,
11: this is Lynn from Canada.
2: Hi, Lynn.
11: It's another great show.
2: Excellent. I just
11: wanted to say a couple of things. One, speaking to the whole food pyramid and who decides. You know, the the interesting thing about the recommendations is that contrary to a lot of beliefs, and I got this from Leire Keith, wonderful book everybody should read it is that those recommendations are not created by the FDA by the people who are supposedly created, you know, who should be looking after our health that is a US agricultural recommendation. In other mm-hmm. words that the, the what we're being told we should eat is being formulated by the people who are going to make money off of the fact that we eat it.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's what uh, it goes back to Greek.
11: That that was a big shock. I was quite surprised to read that, but after you know, if you you think about it for a second, it, it sure makes sense. It makes absolute sense.
3: Read corruption. Many many Monsanto and other big big employees leave their positions, go into the the issue czars, food advisors, mm-hmm. the head inspector. Of
11: the yeah, it's it's the revolving lobbyist door.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, it's no surprise.
11: Mm-hmm. hmm A lot. So and the other thing I wanted to do was going going way back to, to individual applications um of of the paleo diet. It's it's um the one guy said he was working into it slowly that's really important i was i was lucky enough to be following along right from the beginning so we went gluten free you know grain free gradually 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 so as the shift into a really you know very uh strict ketogenic diet was quite easy so somebody who's coming along later you know do exactly what you've been told read Read everything you can, and then go slowly. Especially the older you are, the slower you need to go. Um, so for me, the transition was almost like over three years, and it was a very easy one. But but I'd been following along, and and people think you're crazy. My family thinks I'm nuts, but I I look at all of them. I'm the oldest. I'm in my mid fifties, and I look at all my brothers and go, okay um i'm the only one who's a good weight i am on no drugs i mean not even aspirin and you're on statins and you're on this and you're on that and you can't touch your toes anymore and you've got eczema and what's wrong with this picture i'm the oldest of the lot
1: they don't see it it's amazing isn't it
11: oh it, it floors me it just floors me and and uh you know, one of, one of my sister-in-laws was down with cancer, and I was sending her all this stuff, and she was like, well, I just don't want to take the chance. And I, I understood where she was coming from. She had children, and, you know, she wanted to make sure she was there for them, but at the same time, she went and did chemo and the whole thing, and it was it was horrible to watch. It was awful. But she just, she's been so brainwashed that she, she didn't want to take the chance. It was just like, oh, my God, girl, you know. <laughs>
1: It was yeah. just awful. Did she survive it?
11: Yes, she did. Yes, she did, and she is kind of on a modified, you know, no gluten, no whatever. But but she just won't take that step into the ketogenic that I think would make the the total difference for her. She's just 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 too too scared, and yeah. that that was sad. But you know, she did make it through, and we're all very happy for that. But I think her. Journey would have been a lot less traumatic if she'd been willing to just take that chance, you know? All That's right.
2: All right, Linda, Anyway, thanks. thanks.
11: Great show. Thank you, see. Talk to you later.
2: We got another call here. We're going to go to this call. <coughs> Hi, Carl. What's your name and where are you from?
6: Uh, this is Amanda, and I'm calling from Pennsylvania.
0: Hi,
2: I have a
6: comment. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I have a question and a comment. A comment, um, you were talking about what the agriculture business and pharmaceuticals are doing to humans in regards to GMO, and I think it should be also maybe discussed a little bit in regards to your common domestic cat, dog, or a pet. They uh-huh. treat them the same oh, way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I mean, my cat in November was diagnosed. I had noticed symptoms that were unusual, you know, vomiting, things like that. I took him in to finally get a a blood test because it was just happening too frequently within like a month and a half. And they diagnosed him with pancreatitis. And the vet gave me medication for him. I said, I want to do things holistically. So please, no antibiotics. I will, you know, if you can recommend a herbal supplement that has the same properties as an antibiotic, like, say, echinacea or um, turmeric. I think I said that correctly. Um, and she didn't. She basically just gave me uh, probiotics. And um, what's, it's called, it's a homeopathic uh, iris versicolor him. The iris did help some, but the pink, when I put the probiotics in with his food, which is grain-free, gluten-free, it's pretty much um, meat-based. I look on the ingredients to make sure that it's food-grade ingredients that a human can consume. And um, I also do put a little bit of uh, raw meat in there. And he wouldn't touch it with the probiotics in it. <laughs> hmm.
1: Let me tell you the story about my dog, Sebastian. Back in 2007, he got a tick on him that gave him a condition called ehrlichiosis. And he was very sick and he nearly died. And, you know, it's a long story about, you know, sorting out what it was that was wrong with him and finding out how to keep him alive, which basically amounted to giving him massive doses of doxycycline. And he was so down that when we would we would have to grind it up and I would and put uh, some sardines in the blender, turn sardines into liquid mush, put the pill in with the sardines, put it in a plastic syringe, and squirt it down his throat just to get it down him. And then we would have to pick him up and move him around two or three times because the medicine would burn a hole in his stomach, you know, so he had to move him so that it didn't just hit one spot and stay there. Well, he got, he recovered, <clears throat> And uh, and then we learned that dogs that have had this condition usually don't live longer than two years. They generally get leukemia and die within a two-year period or earlier. And Sebastian, of course, you know, after he recovered from this condition, he was really down. He, he had arthritis. His legs were messed up. I mean, it was almost like, a, you know, like a human who gets polio who can't walk anymore properly. And uh, we, of course, you know, we were a little upset about this to say the least and he started and we felt sorry for him all the time and he always wanted to eat so we were of course feeding him and he had these nice croquettes that we buy from a special supply company that are supposed to be really high protein blah 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 and he just got really really fat until he started looking like a walrus so with his walking problem and all his other issues you know he waddled around and he couldn't get up he could hardly get up and down he didn't want to play didn't want to chase the ball anymore didn't want to do anything and then when we all went paleo, we decided that the critters were going to go paleo too, and we put them on raw meat. And I'm telling you what, Sebastian, and it's, he's been on this raw meat for what a year and a half now. A more, yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe two years. He's like a he's eleven years old this year, and he's like a young dog now. I mean, he he gets up, he plays, he goes around, he does you know. I mean, he's just really remarkable the raw meat diet for a dog uh or a cat, or you know I mean animals should eat what they're what they're designed to eat, and what we've done is we've not only destroyed our own health eating grains we've destroyed the health of our pets <clears throat> yeah, I
6: would agree with that what i he when he was on this, I tried this probiotic this
11: this she said parsley too would be good for
6: him. And I would put that, you know, in his food. Um, it's, It wouldn't touch it. Yeah. Two weeks I tried this. wouldn't touch it. His symptoms got worse. More sick, uh, vomiting more frequently. He just laid there. He always wanted to be in my lap. Didn't want to be picked up. The thought of playing didn't even, you know, nothing like that. Finally, after two weeks, I said, this is enough because he's not improving and it's, getting, it's scaring me. So I took him off of... I threw it out. I put a little bit of turmeric, a bit of ginger, Oregon grape, and a bit of catnip ground up. Um, occasionally, I'll feed him what's from Health Force Nutritionals. They have a green mush that has uh, super greens, mm-hmm. and I'll mix that in with it. And it's you know I'll put a little bit. I'll cut you know like the raw chicken, you yeah. know, or a little bit of beef raw and I'll um, you know, make it so it's a mushy, watery because he he's gotten to the point or was previous, didn't want even want to drink water, even mm. if it was distilled and cured. He didn't wasn't interested. And now he is completely fine. Jumps around without doesn't want you know, he plays completely n- no vomiting, no other symptoms of pancreatitis, nothing. And when I would call the to make the appointment when I spoke with the vet, I tried to ask her, you know, okay, well, what will the person do? Why are you, you know, trying to get her to tell me this is going to do this and this and this, going to mitigate that, take care of this symptom. It was just here's the, pancre- the probiotics, give them this, and come back, you know, when it's three-fourths empty. And I'm thinking, okay, and you're a holistic vet. I don't know. I, well, it's very hard to find a holistic, holistic pets or people who understand that what we're doing to ourselves, we're also doing to our pets because most of the pet food commercial as at a grocery store, even at a specialty like, say, a Petco or some of these great big monster pet stores,
1: they still well, you know, food. this holistic thing, I mean, I'm surprised that they're giving a cat vegetable matter because a cat wouldn't normally eat vegetable matter. Why isn't the cat just eating plenty of raw meat, raw fish? You know, if you can't get raw meat and raw fish for the cat, give them canned sardines. I mean, it's just, I mean, just, I, I've never yet seen a cat that wouldn't eat a sardine. You know, and it's uh, it's just logical. Give them what they would naturally eat in the wild. Okay, honey, we've got a caller coming in, I think. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing up this topic. Very important. Bye, Amanda. um, Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, we have another caller, I think, on the line. Hi, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hello? Hello.
12: Hi, my name is Bahar. I'm from the Netherlands. Hi, Bahar. Hi. Um, I would oh. like to say, uh, ask something. Uh-huh. Uh, in the past, I would uh, be in discussions uh, about food and
2: food. Can, you sp- can you speak uh, up a little bit, Bahar?
12: Oh, yeah, sure. Is this better? Yeah. Okay, so I've noticed that there are a lot of people who are very pro-raw milk. And mm-hmm. uh, the kind of arguments they use... Um, they're a bit, yeah, I don't really see them as very valid arguments. And one of them is is that someone said uh, that there is no animal that wouldn't say no to raw milk or even butter or yogurt. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's uh, it's not only cats who like raw milk or whatever, but also horses and pigs and chickens. So they're very much raw raw milk, and i was I wonder what you guys
2: think about that well, from a paleolithic point of view, any kind of animal milk is out because paleolithic people hadn't domesticated animals and didn't yeah. milk them, so from an evolutionary point of view, uh we humans haven't evolved um, you know
1: but let me say let me say, the next step after you know wild paleolithic living was. Herding animals, at which point yeah. some individuals did get a genetic uh, uh, tw- tweak that permitted them to be able to survive and digest uh, milk proteins after adulthood. It's not to say that it's the best thing for you, but there are people who can survive on it. They can digest it. They can extract you know certain things from it. But casein still and always has an opioid uh type protein, which is not good for you. So uh, I would say that you can survive on it if push comes to shove, but it's not optimal.
4: Yeah, the yeah. argument that no no person or no animal would say no to certain foods is also linked to that opioid thing, you know. What I mean, yeah. just because an animal would like something, it doesn't mean it's good for Yeah, I mean, animals there's a, there's, a, there's an alcoholic
1: can't say no to alcohol, a yeah. drug addict can't say yeah. no to drugs.
4: Well, there's there's a
2: listener just uh wrote in and his name's Scott and he said uh, also there's no animal that would say no to a Snickers bar. Uh, <laughs> d- dogs will eat anything you right. give them even if it kills them. You know, so yeah. yeah
12: and they also use the argument that some tribes are very healthy uh with uh, because their diet consists of raw milk products. And i yeah. guess the oh. but, the, but those tribes like,
2: in africa and i think it's the um, what do you call those tall ones uh, very tall in Does kenya in? huh so tribe in kenya in that yes. region The very tall ones that jump up and down.
1: <laughs> no, they not No,
2: they are not No. I can't remember their name. Somebody'll pop me up their name. But um they eat they basically survive mostly on cow blood and cow milk, yeah, they eat meat as well, but they've been doing that for a long time, yeah yeah, yeah. But that's
4: the thing I mean a lot of people say I live I feel better when doing, for example, the whole um whatever fasting completely for three months, I mean you have to compare what they ate before as well, I mean, maybe they survive okay on milk and something else, but before they had a whole history of eating processed foods and grains but this, and stuff. Was- i mean. Well, sure. not this tribe, tri- this tribe, tri- tri-
2: but, but know, this tribe like survives animal. on raw milk and and blood, and they're really really tall. Well, look, and they jump up and down. So yeah. maybe that's an effect. Their their genetics have been changed by this diet yeah. to make them really tall and jump up and down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, when you jump up and down and you've got milk in, what do you get?
2: Ice butter <laughs> <laughs> And if they move north it would be ice cream.
1: <laughs> no, no, seriously, I would say that there is uh they have a special genetic uh yes. adjustment that's been made for their diet. And like I said, there are some northern Europeans and some uh, that came from the steppes of Central Asia and so forth that uh, did get this uh genetic tweak. But theirs is probably much later because they can survive on it, but it's not optimal, and I'm really curious to see or i'm curious to think what might this uh, particular tribe we're talking about that survives on blood and uh and raw milk raw milk what they would how they would grow and develop if they were eating just strictly paleo you know i mean they may have they, they may have been using this genetic uh, alteration for so long that it would be very difficult to change.
12: Yes, exactly. That would be interesting to uh, look into, I guess.
2: All right, Bahar. Okay. Well thank
12: Thanks you very much. You're thank well. you you Okay. Bye bye.
2: Bye. Bye. So just getting back getting back to my point earlier on there about um we were talking about uh you know, plants being sentient, the wild speculation uh about plants being sentient and trying to kill us all. Um I'm just a, one uh, a listener call in with a with a quote from um, the book of bot the book called Botany of Desire talks about how appealing substance substance of plants influence people to propagate the plant. Right, this, the author Pollan says that. Um, the author pollen says somebody just sent me. Um, sorry about this. Pollen presents a case that. Mir- blah, blah, blah. Pollen presents a case studies that mirror four types of human desires that are reflected in the way that we selectively grow, breed, and genetically engineer our plants. Yeah. So it's a human thing. It's not necessarily our wild speculation has been proven wrong. There, it's um, it's, it's main, mainly due to due to the way that humans uh, propagate the plants. So Although Grim, Grim said that maybe so maybe they want to protect us. You know. <laughs> From it, Based on our speculation, Monsanto is trying to protect us from the carnivorous plants that are trying to kill us all.
1: You mean the eggplants that are like Chicago? Yeah,
3: well, it could, could
2: be. Monsanto is certainly trying to protect us from itself.
3: Recently it announced it's going to start putting gene-altering drugs inside its crops. That In hope. other words... They're going to alter our genes with their food. So that we can survive on them.
4: They're already doing that, yeah.
3: They're gonna put the drugs that we need.
4: People,
1: I hope I hope whoever's listening this really, really wakes up because I would like for everybody to feel good, to be able to think clearly, to rejuvenate, uh you know, to get to get your health back, to get rid of your pain, get rid of your conditions, whatever they are, and you know, have people come together and do some things because we are really screwed on this planet if we don't do something fairly quickly.
2: Yeah. And maybe our final caller. We'll have something to say on that topic. Hi, what's your name and where are you calling from?
10: Uh, this is Joel from Sweden.
2: Hi, Joel. Hi, Joel. Hey, Joel. Well, uh,
10: what of us it was was uh, was uh, when it comes to how uh, the enormous amount of disinformation
0: about uh-huh.
10: diet and they fight uh, evolutionarily speaking, ludicrous way that people in general are eating. It seems that uh, the psychopaths in charge of our world are pretty much as fooled as the rest of the population. There was an example some time ago on the forum uh, where someone posted an article where. Bill Clinton had converted to vegetarianism as an example.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You fill my heart. Bill Clinton, a vegetarian. Oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Go for it, Billy boy.
3: Clinton recently announced he's gone vegetarian. Yeah. Two years ago, yeah. Excellent.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> now if all the rest of them would only... Go
2: oh,
4: vegetarian. Example. Yeah. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good point, you know. It's, it's a good point because, um, I mean, people talk in terms of a conspiracy and stuff, but you see uh, these people who should be in a position to know, to if, know this, if this stuff is uh, is bad for you. They're, they're, they're going ahead and, and indulging at, in it, you look know. Look
1: at Dick Cheney sucking down that aspartame-laden yeah. sodas and yeah. getting... Getting heart transplants or Yeah,
3: Steve Jobs, of course. Know. Yeah, yeah look at vegan. Steve
1: Jobs. He was vegan. Yeah. I mean it's not a conspiracy, I don't think. I think it's just freaking greed. Yeah. So thank you, Steve. Joel.
2: Yep. Have you, you got you got another comment? Question? I think he's gone.
1: He's gone. He's gone.
2: Okay. We scared him off. Um, Yeah, we didn't get the player making bacon song this week, but um, we will again at some point in the future because everybody likes that song.
1: I just want to point out that of all the people at this table, I would say that, well... She runs a close second but I'm the one that is most likely to have kissed the Blarney Stone and I've never been to Ireland.
3: <laughs> what do you been the most likely one to have kissed the Blarney Stone? I,
1: I cannot talk any of you.
3: No, that, The that's, reason that's the story it. behind the Blarney Stone is it was put there so that American tourists
2: yeah. would have
3: something to do. Yeah, Irish people don't actually go and
2: kiss the Blarney yeah. Stone. <laughs> right beside the Blarney Stone for American tourists there is a guy selling bottles of pure Irish air. <laughs> <laughs> And he's doing a <laughs> roaring home, trade. <laughs> yeah. It's only 10 euros each. Oh, my God. So, anyway. On that note. On that note, we hope everybody has enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, to our callers. Uh, next week, we should give a plug. For next week, we're going to have...
1: Sandra Brown.
2: Sandra Brown, author of Women Who Loved Psychopaths.
1: And we're going to talk trash about psychopaths.
2: Yeah. all sorts of other things. In the so,
1: romantic sense.
2: Yes. If that's possible. <laughs> uh, so... That's one you won't want to miss, so tune in next week, and until then, have a good one.